coming up on this exciting pilot episode of That Was a Show. Hey, have you guys watched Aliens in the Family? Why are they dancing to the Bee Gees? It's 1996. They spent money on licensing this song, like good money. Because, you know, that's how contemporary 90s teenagers dance. Like, who is the target audience of this? You got to love that there's no dance floor. Like, there's a little bit. No one else is dancing. No. Yeah, it's one in the afternoon at a lunch service at a country club. Nobody's dancing. By the way, the thing that makes the baby's eyes do that is probably where half the budget of this show (laughs) went. Yeah, it is. Like, the puppeteering is fine. On Boba. On On Boba. Boba. The puppeteering on the baby is fine. (laughs) But first, a few words from the hosts. We began working on this fun podcast back in February of 2020 in the before times, as we say. But it's been a passion project for much longer than that. We recorded the first three episodes back when we could still sit together in a studio, before the need for social distancing. We never could have predicted that it would be launched during one of the most tumultuous periods in recent history. We hope that it brings you a bit of laughter and joy during these uncertain times. Most importantly, we wish to express our immense gratitude to the healthcare and essential workers keeping us safe, and our love and support to everyone fighting for justice and equality for Black and Indigenous people in Canada, the United States, and worldwide. And now, on to the show. Cold Open. We grew up during peak sitcom. Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. (laughs) So, Barry, you chose the first show that we're going to talk about in our first episode. Why don't you tell us about it? I sure did, Aaron. I chose Aliens in the Family. Now, this was a sitcom that aired in March of 1996 on ABC as part of their TGIF lineup. Aliens in the Family took the classic Brady Bunch premise of a blended family, and it introduced aliens into the mix. Now, alien wife Cookie and her schlubby human husband Doug, their children Heather, Adam, Spit, Snizzy, and of course, Bobit, attempt to... (laughs) (laughs) on their attempts to make a go of it in any town USA. Bryn, uh, why why don't you run us through the pilot here? Yeah, so the three of us had to watch the pilot of this masterpiece. I watched it four times. Yeah. In the pilot, we meet the Brodies. Doug Brody desperately wants a promotion at his generic corporate job so that the family can move into a bigger house. Cookie Brody hires a new nanny to care for Bobut, and the baby instantly starts torturing her. Bobut also uses mind control on Doug's boss, to attain the promotion. Adam and Snizzy, meanwhile, reanimate a dead frog in the family garage. The family gains entry into an exclusive country club to the delight of Heather, who wants to befriend popular Tiffany, whose parents are members. And then the frog shows up, 
at this point, the frog is a massive giant. It starts terrorizing the club and ultimately the town. Doug realizes that he needs to pay more attention to the madcap happenings at home and less time climbing the corporate ladder. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry I made you watch it, but what did you think? I felt almost as tortured as the nanny. That sounds about right. I found the complexity of this show overwhelming. Like there was so much weirdness to process. Yeah. And tonally, it was so all over the map that there were like certain moments that I found amusing, but for the wrong reasons. And there was so many characters and so much to take in. And even after repeated viewing, there's a lot of layers to why this is a, yeah. a, an unsuccessful attempt at a sitcom. I also just want to mention that this was created by Andy and Susan Borowitz, the same creators as The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And like this was the next show they did after that show ended, which is confounding. You mentioned there's a lot of layers. None of them are good. <laughs> like there's it, the show rushes between plot point to plot point to plot point without any form of care or humor or character development. So why did you choose this show? I chose it because for some strange reason, I loved this show when it aired. Now, the show aired uh, only eight episodes, but this, the, the network was pretty sure early on that this was not working because they aired two episodes over two weeks and then immediately pulled it from the lineup. Now, as a young child, this devastated me, and I waited all summer for them to bring back Aliens in the Family. Now, I don't know if it was just because it was a science fiction sitcom or because it had puppets from the Jim Henson Company, but I just could not get enough of this show, uh, and ABC did not want to give me enough of it. <laughs> It aired alongside mainstays like Step by Step, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, and the far superior but also short-lived Muppets Tonight. Now, I just want to say before we get into it that I am actually genuinely thrilled that you chose this show. I think if there's any show that single-handedly exemplifies why we're doing this podcast, every possible thing that was both a big trend in the way sitcoms were made at the time but also a mistake in the way that it was executed has all been rolled into this one show. I would say TGIF is pretty, pretty iconic for people who are around our age. So in their 30s, it, it holds a, a lot of nostalgia for us. I remember at the time watching a lot of shows that were branded as TGIF, but I wasn't like aware that that was like a curated program. See, not me. I no. was a TGIF nut. I yeah. would sit down Same. and watch the whole lineup, no matter beginning if to I, end. Yeah, no matter if I yeah. liked the shows. In fact, some of them, being aware of at the time that I actively was not enjoying, I would still watch it because they were on TV and it was TGIF, and everybody watched TGIF. Yeah, everybody watched TGIF. And do you guys remember the TGIF theme song? It's uh, Friday night, and the mood is right. Oh, God. <laughs> I did a little research, and one thing that was kind of amusing is this story of how this was made, like this show was being developed at the same time as Third Rock from the Sun. And I believe the way the story goes is that basically it's ABC, right? That yeah. did TGIF. So... Evidently, 
Third Rock from the Sun was going to be an ABC show. Right. But they decided to pass on it because they thought that it was not going to be successful. They thought it was like, in a sense, too mature for their TGIF lineup. And rather than even obviously trying to move it to a different time slot, they just passed on it. And then they basically developed Aliens in the Family as a more G-rated version of Third Rock from the Sun. It certainly is that. Which, of course, that show went on to last for several years and was incredibly successful. It was. uh, And, uh, you know, I'm sure... You, as, as I mentioned earlier, it was on television, so I I sure watched plenty of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I even like Third Rock from the Sun, but I sure My I've dad sure loved seen it. Oh yeah, it was a know. dad show. I oh think. sure, yeah. You, you know, you had your John Lithgow, you had yeah. your Jane Curtin, yeah, yeah. your baby Joey Gordon Levitt. <laughs> okay, that opening animation. What is that? Yeah, I think they're trying to harken back to classic sitcoms. That are sort of supernatural, like Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. I think that they're trying to do a little throwback there and, you know, ignite the nostalgia within baby boomer parents. But I don't think that they succeeded. I don't know. Well, I think they <laughs> forgot one very important thing, which is a catchy jingle. Yeah. We've got the hapless father, Doug, who's like a classic classic sitcom dad and he's the schlubby dad he's completely useless except i'll give him a little bit of uh i'll give him a little bit of points for he seems to enjoy that he's completely useless he's definitely not an audience anchor at all no because he seems so oblivious to any of the plots that are going Mm. on uh his wife uh who is an alien uh we never i don't think we ever get a species name for their alien but I'm sure some writers got a series Bible sitting somewhere with a vast amount of information on what they are. Uh, she's played by Margaret Trigg. Her character's name is, of course, Cookie. Uh, <laughs> and it's short form uh, of some gobbledygook of noises, which does not elicit a single laugh when they actually say it in the episode. But Cookie also seems like it would be like a term of endearment that her husband would call her if it was a show made in like the 50s or 60s. This is true. Yeah, well, it's just classic misogyny. Just, you know, throwing a a cute little like sweet name on a woman that's like an inanimate object or a food object. Like it's just. That's true. Yeah. Um, the character herself, I, you constantly kind of like, I, I felt kind of bad for the character because they're always writing her as the smartest person in the room. She's the one who on her alien planet supposedly was a very successful scientist. Um, and then she's thrust into this like just homemaker role. Yeah. Uh, which she also seems to have no zeal for whatsoever. Right. Like, why does she need a nanny if yeah. she's at home every day? I don't, I don't understand. Know. It's really bizarre. The nanny is uh, named Sally, and she seems to just be there to be like abused both physically, mentally, emotionally, and verbally by every character who encounters her. I think by the end of the episode, she gets a bit of Stockholm syndrome. She absolutely does, Um, and like they, she doesn't live with them, but she's definitely there at night at the end of the episode. So she's 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 a prisoner. Yeah. Um, there's so many plot lines going on, but the main thorough affair uh, through the episode is Doug uh, announces that he would like to get a bigger house because the giant sitcom house that they live in is just not big enough for yeah. them. Yeah, some of the kids 
have to share a bathroom, which apparently is such a an big indignity, yeah. you know. <gasps> so Adam and Heather are Doug's human children, and Snizzy and Spit are the alien children of Cookie and Bobut. I think is the baby of Doug and Cookie, but it, it multiple time implies that he is, but but he does not look like Doug. No. Like I don't know what was going on. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we're gonna have to talk through the yeah. appearance of these characters yeah. too. Anyway, I I, I just want to so get back Adam to takes a, okay, home Adam takes home the frog. the frog. It's a it's a class thing. It's the class pet, and he gets to take right. home the frog as a to you know. And then the frog hops into a pot of hot pudding that's being made for the baby Bobet, who consumes massive quantities of chocolate pudding. And so the frog is dead. And then, I require pudding. Yep. Con and, constantly. And then the sister, alien sister, Snizzy, uh, uses the science experiment set up in the garage to reanimate the dead frog and bring it back to life. But by accident, doesn't only bring it back to life, but actually turns it into this like giant monster frog that starts terrorizing the city. Mostly in the background, uh, many many people are implied to have been killed. He does uh, <laughs> destroy a plane. Yeah, uh, mailman, a mailman, um, a 1950s mailman who's just strolling the streets. I mean, we can't yeah. not talk about the fact that the alien mother looks 98% human and just has this yeah. small affectation around her hairline on either side of her head, whereas her children, all of them, including the baby that's presumably half human, uh, look radically different from a human, like from our species. They look like they're from another planet. They yeah. have a radically different look, but she basically looks like a human with a little tiny subtle affectation. The aliens, excluding the mother, all of the aliens are creations of the Jim Henson uh, Studios uh, Muppet creators. But then the, the mother basically looks human and obviously it had to have been because at the time having a sitcom like this where you know, the sort of the, the useless dad character has to be paired with an attractive wife. Yeah, that was like, I mean, that's sitcom 101. Sitcom 101, like it was just inconceivable to do otherwise. So even though there's no attempt at explaining why she looks different from the other aliens and why she basically just looks human, like they don't even try. It's just... No, it's it just, just she's, she's there to be a hot sitcom mom. Um yeah. The character, I would say a lot of her outfits are are pretty objectifying. Right? The, um, the vinyl dress, the yeah. like pink vinyl dress. Yeah. What was going on short, there? Short dress. Yeah. 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 At home. That's that's her. And like, this is her at home, chilling at home. at home outfit. Yeah. It's really bizarre. Yeah. And then and then the teenaged alien boy, what's his name? Spit. Spit. His Spit. Name's Spit. He's dressed like this apathetic grunge rock listening teenager from the time like just such a like 90s teenage boy cliche and his voice sounds like a 90s teenage boy cliche even though all of the other alien siblings have voices that yeah. sound a little bit alien his is just just some dude i was constantly torn by which character like i hated the most <laughs> but each time i came back to it it was just it was 100 percent spit i just oh hated, yeah he was the worst i hate every second he's on screen yeah yeah. Um he's just he's mean. 
He's like everything we hated about like angry, angsty 90s uh, grunge kids. Like, yeah, he is that the characters from The Simpsons, like the are you being sarcastic, man? I don't even know. There were no rules to this world. There it's were just absolutely no rules. Whatever works for the way they want to define each character. There was no effort to be consistent or to explain anything. And it's just even like the mother and her kids are apparently unfathomably intelligent by human standards. There's one line that references the mother having an IQ of 5,000. And they have this incredibly advanced technology. Yet yeah. somehow this family is still at the mercy of dad's generic businessman salary. Oh, don't, yeah. don't forget that Bobut is literally the center of the universe. Oh, how could we forget that Bobut <laughs> yeah. is literally the center of the universe? In a not quite throwaway line, we are just we are told that Boba is going to be this all-important uh character in this intergalactic space destiny saga which obviously i don't know if the show ever intended to go down that route but it seems like a pretty lofty aspiration for such a lazy pilot yeah <laughs> i guess it's safe to say that they intended that boba be the breakout character oh my god yeah. boba is so the kramer the you know the clinger he is everything boba occasionally makes me laugh the puppeteering is very well done there's a joke or two that works and yeah he kind of is the somehow the heart of the show they definitely had dreams of boba merchandise in their in their brains oh for sure oh, yeah. definitely and did anybody else notice like probably the very obvious thing watching this now from 2020 the similarities to what would become stewie griffin yes uh, absolutely yeah he, he was uh you know he's megalomaniacal um, he's violent, he uh, is far more intelligent than everybody else in the room, and he's able to create inventions. Um, he just possesses none of the charming qualities yeah. and is not voiced by Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, and, so. and an infant that can speak in full sentences and no one is surprised by this. It's just taken for granted in this world and never explained to the audience. Yeah. Does anyone have a character that they actually like? You know, I actually not like, but love Snizzy. She's the cutest puppet. And beyond that, she's basically an icon. She's a woman in STEM and a role model, frankly. <laughs> There's so much weirdness to process, like the overwhelming complexity of, of why this show doesn't work is like a masterclass yeah. in what not to do if you construct a sitcom it's it's amazing it's also like a time capsule from 1996 that should have never been dug up no no yeah. it also it, it it's from 96 but like as you know obviously you know a lot of the sitcoms that we still watch from the 90s have been remastered and whatnot so we can still enjoy them on our, our lovely hdtvs but this show looks bad yeah the sets look bad the lighting is awful the set design like this is just me being nitpicky but you're a blended family of uh with half aliens and half humans and you've kind of i feel like you you miss out on a very interesting bit of set design where you could design your standard sitcom house but have half of the things in it be of an alien nature they did not do that <laughs> they clearly just moved into doug's house because for some reason, after Doug was abducted and Cookie fell in love with him, uh, Doug was allowed to basically make all the decisions from that point on. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't even occur to me when I watched it, but you're right. The set design is basically just like lifted from any other like average suburban family at the time. And other than the couple of objects that like Boba has his little like alien rattle and yeah. Snizzy has her like chemistry set. Yeah. But there aren't even other props. No. Well, you know, like their preposterous personalities are enough to like make an audience not be on board but the sets and everything, it's maybe their sly way of just being like, they're just a normal American family. Yeah, I, I, should... I'm sure you're right about that. That is definitely what they think they're doing. But they're not, yeah. It's not working. No. It's All, not working. Another thing that's not working, although it's interesting that they even tried, is that there were numerous attempts at topical, quippy humor dropped yeah, into very the, meta very meta based yeah, jokes yeah some of them are dropped into the dialogue as if they've just been airlifted into a spot that just feels so out of place yeah and so one of them is obviously the remark about um synchronized swimming adaptation of oliver stone's nixon what was that oh my that god that is such a that is such a harvard comedy writer's idea oh, yeah. Joke. yeah some network executive said hey, I know that this is about aliens and it's supposed to be a family show and it's supposed to be for kids, but let's make sure we throw in some topical political humor, you know, for the parents watching who might turn at, tune out if not for that little nugget. But that's not even a political thing. That's like... Well, that's just name dropping things. Well, it's in, name dropping. Yeah. But, in pop culture. Yeah. Right, but there is another reference later where it says how they show uh, an actual live action clip from the news of Newt Gingrich in Congress and makes reference to how just like this little passing reference to how Evil he's yeah he's I actually he was in the phantom zone <laughs> so there's like little digs at republicans and little digs at big business even like there's a scene in the office yeah where you overhear in the meeting talking about some factory that burned down oh, yeah. and there were writers who worked on this show that it's almost like they wanted to do that type of humor for themselves and they oh, squeezed um, yeah. it into the show as if this is for that crucial demographic of people who both love Murphy Brown and absolute nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. It's just so uncomfortable to even just sit through again and again and again I know, and again. I know. And speaking of uncomfortable, um, there are these weird tonal attempts at what seem to be maybe like earnest sincerity, like this affection between the father and Bobit, the alien yeah. baby. Yeah. And it's very like odd and uncomfortable because <laughs> it's a little off putting. Yeah. yeah. It's like the kind of thing where even if it wasn't an alien baby, even if it was a human baby, yeah. the tone is attempting this sort of sincere father, child, parent, child affection that would seem out of place in a sitcom. Yeah. Full of all the other jokes yeah. that are going yeah. on in this plot. Are in we talking to feel or not to feel? We Is that are. where we're yes, going let's with go this? There. Let's okay. go there. Okay, so what's to feel or not to okay, feel? Okay, so guys? to feel or not to feel, I have this theory. I don't know, maybe we'll disprove this over the course of our series, but I feel like especially in the 90s, sitcoms fell into one of two categories. There's the all laughs show where you're not supposed to have these sort of like touching, meaningful moments. Seinfeld was famous for having a specific rule amongst the creators and writers no crying and no learning. Right. And everything is just supposed to be there in service of being funny. Sure. And that's it. 
and you're only supposed to care about the characters insofar as you're interested in the next stupid thing that they do. Sure. And then there's like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air camp Mm -hmm. where it is mostly silly comedy, Mm -hmm. but there are actual like meaningful emotional moments. So with Aliens in the Family, which camp do we presume that they intend this to be? I feel like because of this whole thing that they were doing between the father and the baby, it is very solidly in this tent of we want you to derive a yeah. genuine emotional attachment to these characters which obviously isn't working but yeah that's yeah. the intent oh absolutely can we talk about like the amount of body horror that's happening please throughout do. the episode please do <laughs> well like this reminded me the moment the first moment where boba and doug share a little smooch oh no and uh boba kisses his dad and like pulls his cheek forward like in this cartoonish fashion it's like completely out of place and ridiculous and then later spit opens up his scalp for no reason just to gross out his sister and it's just like all like very gross and hilarious like, very, yeah uh, oh but hilarious apparently oh yeah apparently someone thought it was hilarious uh yeah it's all very very strange uh it's tonal whiplash like yes sometimes within a scene like and then yeah. there were so many moments in the in the show where like the scene just ends and they're they've yeah. they've run out of they've run out of scene like it's never like a lot like a natural conclusion it's always okay i think that's a good place to move on even in the way the scenes are shot have tonal inconsistencies yeah yeah like the scenes we were talking about this how the scenes at dad's office the random corporation are lit like almost like the throwaway fake throwaway office scenes from a sketch comedy show oh yeah like it definitely kids in the hall looking lighting but the rest of the show does not have that no the rest of the show has standard high key Ev- like generally everything is totally bright and clear sitcom lighting. Yeah. And then the office scenes have this sort of dark, moody, very hard lighting with like what are obviously like lights projected through fake windows on a really cheap oh, set. Yeah. And the kind of thing that visually is like striking and interesting if you're doing a kids in the hall sketch based on like the world of the movie Wall Street or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But in a sitcom is just like jarringly out of place. Yeah. Uh, there's this throwaway joke where the giant frog that's terrorizing the city is eventually subdued by the National Guard and then sent to Euro Disney. So, of course, Euro Disney is in France. So they're sending a giant frog to France, which is obviously a slur. That joke was so bad. I didn't even get it until you explained it to me. I, I, didn't, cl- <laughs> I didn't clock it until the second or third time yeah. that I heard it. Other than that, I... Actually, weirdly enough, as offensive as this show is to, you know, our general senses and taste level, I don't think there's that much that is offensive. That's like the only thing that doesn't hold up. There was that there was the one throwaway uh, joke about uh, how 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 funny it would be to have to talk to somebody in Japan on the phone. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was problematic. Yeah, that was was very problematic. 
Um, that whole exchange. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I mean, I said throwaway joke, but it was actually a plot point. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a major that, plot that's point. That's right. That's how he lost Yikes. one of their clients or, uh, yeah, it was, that was weird. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. Like, there was not a lot, like, there was no 90s gay panic jokes, uh, yeah. which is in everything or yeah. like every yeah. 40 seconds in a Friends episode, for instance. Like, it's yeah. generally misogynistic, but it's not blatant. Yeah, it is in a way that a lot of shows being yeah. made now yeah. still are. Yeah. We're going to build a sitcom logic library of tropes. Oh. Is there anything in this show that we would like to add to our library? Um, well, obviously, hot mom and schlubby dad. This show really takes that concept to its conceivable yes. maximum conclusion. I want to see how often this pops up on shows that we watch. I want to see how often we go to country clubs in these things <laughs> because I don't know about you. I've never been to a country club. I didn't grow up that poor, but it was never really like a dream of ours to go yeah, to a country club. Yeah, it's a weird club. thing. Yeah. I don't um, think it's real. I think it's like just a made up thing in sitcoms. I well, feel like sitcom writers definitely grew up wanting to go to country clubs. Well, they're all like Harvard grads. Yeah. So maybe they were members of country clubs. So- I don't oh, know. and they and they were like they loved them so much that they were like, man, you know what the worst thing would be? What if you couldn't get into these country clubs? Mm. Country clubs are definitely in the eighties and nineties in movies and television, like a classic marker of a successful member of like the upper middle class establishment is that you could go like golfing with the boss and go to the country club. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's an element of this show that is satirical in a way that I've been trying to understand and interpret mm -hmm. ever since the first time I watched this in a way being self-referential in mm -hmm. a way being a satirical commentary on oh, family yeah. sitcoms, G-rated family sitcoms. Uh, there's a line from Bobit where Bobit says, I require comfort from the enigma that is childhood. Mommy platitude me, platitude me. Yes. And like that line could actually be clever. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And but this is not for a TGIF yeah, but audience. Not, yeah. not for this. Yeah, not for this audience. And not, not for 10 year olds like sitting they, at home drinking juice boxes. Like, yeah, they're thumbing their nose at like the very thing that they are supposed to be. Yeah. So you have these brief moments of actual wit and they're set against this odd backdrop of like saccharine cliche plot lines. But it makes me wonder. And here's a theory that I'm going to pose. OK. That it's very possible that the creators of this show intended it to be some sort of incredibly subversive commentary on family sitcoms of the time. Mm -hmm. um, the episode, the, the pilot itself, ends with uh, probably the biggest uh, stab at that meta humor. And it's one that, again, bringing up Family Guy, would later go on to employ many times over the course of its run. Um, and that's making fun of the the lesson at yeah. the end of the episode by saying uh, that Bobut says something along the lines of uh, cease this uh, tedious uh, moralizing. moralizing. Yeah. Oh, I've got the lead up to that written down because I've been itching to talk about this for a week. This was my one genuine laugh in the whole show. And for a brief moment, I was able to like transport myself emotionally out of everything that I had just seen yeah. and just enjoy this one moment, probably because it did remind me of something that other more like contemporary yeah. comedies have achieved where the dad comes into the room and after he's kind of learned his lesson, <laughs> he says, you know, 
when my kids start recombining the DNA of a frog and mutating it into a giant monster who lays waste to our town, that means I've been spending too much time at the office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lesson in all of this. That frog got too big too fast, and so did I. And then the baby tells him to stop his tedious moralizing. <laughs> <laughs> That is is good. And it's like, if this was a three-minute ironic sketch, then that would actually be a funny punchline, and I would genuinely enjoy it. And But the fact that I can't tell how the creators of the show want me to interpret that line makes this just so frustrating. Yeah, I know, and I agree. Like, I find the the line itself to be particularly funny. Uh but commenting on it immediately deflates the fact that I might have laughed at his, you know, like his joke. Um, and that is, you know, the comment on it, they're trying to be meta and also make the joke. It's like a hat on a hat. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, you didn't need to go the meta route because you already were meta in that line. It was a great line. Um, that might be something interesting to do more of. Uh, Bryn, did you have... Was there a joke that worked for you in this episode? I like that. Yeah. No. Fair enough. <laughs> I uh I I pretty much only liked the, the line that Aaron brought up and I also uh for some reason got a chuckle out of Spitz casual uh throw out throwaway line about Heather not having to worry about much uh, except for the giant asteroid that was going to destroy the Earth in 20 years, and then realizing that not everybody on Earth was aware of that. I I chuckled at that. I'll give them that. Um, again, much like everything else with that character, not delivered well. Not delivered well. Mm. There was a uh, just general joke that they were trying to seed throughout the episode of, okay, they're aliens... So um, their way of talking about things is just slightly different from the way mm-hmm. humans talk about things. Yeah. So their curse words are different words. Oh, God. What is the one? Uh, well, basically, Spit calls Heather a garch. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a whole thing. What is a garch? Oh. I'm dying to know. Oh, yes. They make an offhand remark about kissing the boss's arm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's another example. And you, yeah. And you brought that up. When we were watching yeah. it. And I was like, no, I get it. They're saying his arm is his ass, but they haven't actually done that yeah. joke yet. So we don't they know. They don't explain the, ru- the rules of the world and they expect the audience to figure it out, but it doesn't track. Let's do the spinoff. People who went on from this show to do actual big successful things later. Bryn? The first notable success story is Chris Marquette, who plays Adam Brody. He's obviously very young in this. He's probably about 10 years old. He went on to do a bunch of movies, including The Girl Next Door, Just Friends, and most recently he was in a few episodes of Barry, which if anyone watches that, it's like a very heartbreaking character arc. Beautiful show, not to be confused with our Barry. Yeah. Um, there's also Christina Locan, who plays popular girl Tiffany Kendall. Oh, yeah. She was in Terminator 3 and had solid stints on the L word and burn notice. Oh, yeah. She was the Terminatrix in Terminator 3. There's also James Vanderbeek, a.k.a. Dawson Leary. He did one episode. 
it turns out that Variety actually has an article shining some light on this. Um, I saw that too, actually. My he's not in the pilot. Am I wrong? No, I, I didn't no. think I spotted it's a later episode, episode three. So there's a quote from him on doing this show. Fantastic. He says, "Thank you, Variety, for busting me with this fine sample of my very early work." The best part about it, aside from the hair, of course, was the job I had to turn down because I was contractually obligated to this gem, a scene in The Devil's Own in which I would have gotten to improv with Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) This sitcom was so stellar that it was pulled off the air after two episodes. I was in episode three. Oh, my God. (laughs) At least he's good humored about it. (laughs) I think Aliens in the Family is definitely actor's version of rock bottom. I, I think so, too. But again, at the time, it's like you have the co-creators from Fresh Prince. You have the Jim Henson Company. And I'm sure when agents presented this opportunity to actors, yeah. they built it up as like, maybe they even said like, look, I know that some of the, like you read the script and it might seem a little rough, but like, look who's working on this. It's going to become something big. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, yeah, it's a big paycheck to getting a network sitcom for anybody. <laughs> So finally, um, our last success story is someone who only has one line in the episode. It's none other than A-list actor Aaron Eckhart. Did you guys catch that? I don't know if you actually caught him in the episode, but oh, you know, I he, sure did. <laughs> I did not. He had one line, and it was basically, um, "I was promised that promotion. I was contractually obligated. I'm contractually obligated. Yeah." So basically, he's the guy that was passed up for the promotion that went to Doug Brody. (sighs) At the other end of the spectrum, okay, this is not a success story. This is kind of a sad failure story. So one of the show's writers was Charlie Rubin, who wrote for Seinfeld. He wrote The Marine Biologist, which is one of the best episodes, in my opinion. He left Seinfeld to write for Aliens and the Family. If you look at his IMDb page, there are huge gaps in his resume after 96. Oh, and uh, the marine biologist is, from a writing standpoint, one of the best half hours of comedy I've ever seen. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I'd like to do a little brief segment called Why Was It Cancelled? So any of us who have a theory as to why this show was cancelled, bearing in mind that there was a time when this show was pitched and thought to be a great idea and the show got produced. So we're assuming that it wasn't canceled on the basis of its actual premise. But what is it that went wrong about this show that caused the very people who picked up this show to then cancel it in this case only two episodes later? Now, I think that the reason this show got canceled uh, is that people saw it. Basically, the second this show hit the airwaves. <laughs> there was no way that this show was going to stay on the air. There's like 30 seconds in, you are very aware that you are watching a show that was canceled. Uh, it's right. It's 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 right in the it's in the writing. It's in the performances. It's in the lazy set design. You know, they know, and it's very sad. It was hard for me to commit to one reason. Maybe it couldn't hold up against Third Rock from the Sun, which is a far more compelling family sitcom involving aliens. Possible. Maybe it was just too weird, especially the disturbing tender moments between the father and the alien baby. Uh, And then there's my like rogue theory that this show is actually intended as a subversive satire against the family sitcom genre. And that as soon as 
uh, people at the network or possibly advertisers realized that it had that kind of commentary that was too much for them, especially during TGIF. Is this show what Mo Sislak would call postmodernism? Weird for the sake of weird? Uh, I think so. I, I think it's just a, a, a lazy collection of sitcom tropes mixed in with some puppets. Yeah, it's not good weird. It's definitely really, really bad weird. And it's there's an attempt at campy that just fails really badly and isn't relevant for contemporary 1996 audiences. Yeah. Did you guys notice I I got a real kick out of this when I was watching it? I don't remember the last time I saw a sitcom like this where there were some very obvious punchlines that did not get a laugh. Yeah. And they are and they are just dead air moments on this and they didn't even like try to sweeten it with like post audio. <laughs> like they were just like we know we, we, we know. <laughs> yeah. So I have a theory that any sitcom that was released or aired within 20 years of Friends has to have at most six degrees of separation. Sure. So what do you got for us on this one? Okay. Well, do you guys have any guesses? How many degrees of separation is there between aliens and the family and friends? Huh. I could be wrong. But I feel like Christina Locan is like prime for somebody who dated Joey. <laughs> okay, I just need a number. How many degrees do you think? I'm going to go two. I'm going to go five degrees. Oh. Okay, wait for it. John Bedford Lloyd plays Doug Brody, of course, our patriarch of Aliens in the Family. He had a reoccurring role on Spin City in which he co-starred with Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck was on Mad About You alongside Lisa Kudrow, who had a reoccurring role as Ursula Buffet, the waitress, who was the twin of Lisa Kudrow's other character, Phoebe Buffet on Friends. How many, uh, how many degrees was that? Three degrees from Three Friends. Three degrees. Okay. Okay. Barry, I am a network executive in the 1990s. You are a show producer. I want you to give me the elevator pitch for this show. Okay. Um, all right. I got it. Hey, Aaron. Do you like the Brady Bunch? I do. Do you like dinosaurs? Obviously. Did you like Conehead sort of a little? Sort of a little. That's the show. We're going to do that as a show. All of that. <laughs> this was fun. We all had a lot of laughs. But some things are no laughing matter. What lesson did we all learn from today's show? We learned that no matter how sincere you try to make it, a grown man kissing an alien baby on the forehead is not a tender loving moment. It's very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> and cut to credits. That was a show is a production of Radio Gizmo. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram for info about upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Next time on That Was a Show. That was a joke. I feel bad for the set decorators who put so much time and effort into <laughs> filling these rooms to make yeah. them look realistic as if it matters. Yeah. It's really not a bad set. It's fine. <laughs> the set is fine. <laughs> Radio Gizmo.